In late April this year, I saw a headline that Craig McFarland, a senior from Jacksonville, Florida, had pulled off the rare accomplishment of getting accepted into all eight Ivy League schools. Hearing his from Jacksonville, I double-checked and was pleased to find out that he was, in fact, the valedictorian of the Stanton College Prep Class of 2020. As I mentioned in my last episode, the Class of 2020's graduation ceremony took place in late July on the school's football field, live-streamed to accommodate the social distancing guidelines. Here is a clip from Craig's address to his fellow classmates. I will speak to you as if I were speaking to my younger self, because at the end of the day, we're all just scared kids trying to make it in this scary world of adults. Some of you may be scared to grow old. I am too. I like to tell myself that I'm ready to go off and leave my mom, um, and Mary, and my best friends, and basically everything that I've known, and to be an adult. And in, in reality, I'm really terrified to be, you know, an adult. This is all I've known. I've never really left Florida. I want to tell you this. That fear that you may have of growing old, embrace that fear, for it will only make you enjoy the present that much more. As kids, we couldn't wait to be teens. As teens, as hormonal, and scary as we are, we couldn't wait to be adults. And now that we're approaching the ecotone of adulthood, I can't help but wish that younger me would have stopped and slowed down. Therefore, remember this. Your life is not an ever-growing tree, nor is it some distinct thread of fate. It is a vibrant tapestry interwoven by the passage of time and the needle of culture. Do not fall for the trap that your life needs to be one long movie of which you have to be the protagonist nor a grand Grecian epic that you should be building up to. Life is best when it's a mosaic of happy moments that just so happen to be beautifully connected. Listening to his speech, I'm brought back to my own high school graduation 10 years ago in the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Arena. I was about 80 pounds lighter and my facial hair was pretty patchy looking back at the pictures. It's kind of weird to think just how far we've come since then. What lessons have I learned over the past decade? Would my younger self have listened to the advice the current me would give them? Or maybe I'm not giving 18-year-old me enough credit and the worldview I had back then wasn't all that off from where I am now. Whatever the case, I think it's worth appreciating the journey we've taken and how much we've grown over time while also appreciating how in that moment, in that place, when we were feeling nervous, excited, and on top of the world, after all, we had just cleared Stanton College Prep, how we were sure that we were gonna go out into the world and run this. Hello and welcome to the We Run This podcast, a show celebrating the stories of the Stanton College Prep Class of 2010 and how we continue to kill it 10 years on. I'm Paulo Bautista. So I've been to my fair share of college graduation ceremonies, and I'm always inspired by individuals who are invited to receive honorary degrees and come back to impart wisdom to fledgling graduates, in no small part because the university believes that the speaker's lived experiences qualifies them to give such advice. And I always walked away wishing that I would one day be invited to give such a speech. In high school, we didn't have outside speakers. Instead, we had two of our classmates give speeches. I was not one of them, though I definitely remember wishing I could have been. I don't know, maybe this podcast is just my attempt at taking my shot at such an endeavor. 
One of the student speakers at the graduation was like Craig, the individual who had the highest GPA among our cohort, our valedictorian. In our case, that was Rebecca Kiddo, who also got the yearbook superlative of most likely to succeed. Hi, I'm Rebecca Kiddo. I'm a staff scientist at Choate Hall & Stewart, which is a law firm in Boston, and I currently live in Sharon, Massachusetts. The other way you could speak at our graduation was if you auditioned for and were selected as the other student speaker by the teachers. I had actually tried out for this, though I remember sitting in my seat at graduation feeling very relieved that the teachers had chosen Danny Canudo to give this address. Whatever speech he was given was much better than anything I had had planned. So this is Danny Canudo, currently working as a consulting engineer for Exponent, and I'm located in the LA area. Rebecca and Danny both were clearly very smart. Both of them qualified for national merit scholarships based on their PSAT scores after all. As such, classes definitely made up a big part of their Stanton experience, including some very memorable teachers. Mr. Hageman's physics classes, I had never really been introduced to physics as a discipline. He was actually the first engineer that I can recall meeting and sort of having as a role model. Miss Carpenter Smith. Yeah, she was a character. So I always remember those classes. I feel like we were stuck in languages together for so long. It's like definitely a lot of memories there. However, outside of class, they also had a lot of good memories with their friends. Many of my memories are with specific people. So yeah, definitely have a lot of fond memories with friends, some of which maybe are embarrassing to my friends or to myself. So maybe I shouldn't bring up specific stories. But it's funny that now that we're talking about it, I also think as much as I complained and agonized over being in Latin class and Latin program, I think I did have a lot of fun at the different Latin events with some of my friends. And I'm just thinking about some of the trips that we had, especially to the National Forum. Amy, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you. Uh, she knows exactly which story I'm talking about if she ever listens to this. In school, I think my fondest memories happened around AP and IB exams, like all of the studying and cramming and spending a bunch of time together, bonding through suffering, as it were. And then outside of school, playing shows with uh, with my metal band, uh, Ark Harbor, or I guess Buckets of Blood, as we performed in our talent show. Uh, I'm actually still sitting next to the guitar that a bunch of people scrounged together money to buy me in high school. It's one of my most treasured possessions, honestly. I'll, I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. When Danny gave his speech at graduation, he remembers feeling pretty optimistic about what our class was going to be able to accomplish in the world based on the past performance of what we had done at Stanton. I was pretty sort of optimistic about the future and what all of us were going to do. Like it always impressed me how people were able to do so much in addition to making straight A's or getting fives on their APs or whatever, like all of the extracurricular stuff that people did as far as like excelling in athletics or winning awards in theater, playing music, or some of the art that came out of like people like Sherwin and Irina, I was always just blown away that they were able to do that and also excel academically. So after our high school graduation, both went off to college. Rebecca found herself on the West Coast studying chemistry. So I went to Caltech, which California Institute of Technology. Uh, my mom was actually pretty upset with me for going there because she had never heard of the school. And I think she wanted to brag about my college to her Asian friends, and she was a little bit annoyed with me. Yeah, I ended up going there, and then I ended up majoring in chemistry. It was kind of roundabout. I think I was thinking of going into engineering, realized that I did not enjoy math and just didn't have, I think, the skill for some of the high-level, intense math that would be required. And I really enjoyed the lab classes, so that was kind of what decided it for me. 
For Danny, he went to Northeastern University in Boston to study economics, though for various reasons he would transfer back to Florida State University and switched his major. I went to Florida State and ended up changing my major to mechanical engineering, and that was sort of on a whim. I decided to try something that was more math and physics oriented just because I remembered enjoying it in high school. So I figured I'd, if any time was a good time to give it a shot, undergrad would be that. Like Danny said, college is a time to try new things and also a time to discover aspects of yourself you weren't aware of previously. This may be picking up a new sport or maybe finding a potential vocational path. When I went to the visit weekend, one thing that they sold me on was that Caltech sucks at sports, fun fact. So they said anybody can just join sports teams there because they need people and like we don't recruit. So somebody there was like, yeah, you should just join the volleyball team. And I was like, I have never played volleyball before in my life. And she said, most of the people on our team haven't. And that is why we were ranked last in our conference. <laughs> so I just went and like there was a preseason for it. And I just went to like learn how to play and just meet people. I'm, I would say I'm mediocre at volleyball still. Teaching was a, a big part, and it was sort of motivated by the fact that I was really broke in undergrad. So as a consequence of that, I found myself tutoring off Craigslist at first, and then working with the library at Florida State to tutor students after I'd gained a little bit of experience. So that was a really enjoyable experience because it was really nice to see a, the positive impact that I was making on people. After completing their undergraduate studies and after looking at the career opportunities available to them, they both opted to pursue master degrees in their fields. So I interned with a subsidiary of GE Aviation as like a manufacturing engineering intern. And the work that they had me doing there was a lot of spreadsheet things or work instruction maintenance. And it kind of showed me that the sort of jobs that I would be able to get with a bachelor's degree weren't what I wanted to do. There was something in me that like I was looking for something different. And then I got the opportunity to do some undergraduate research. And that was really, really cool. So I got to be like sort of on the cutting edge doing high performance computing, doing some wind tunnel testing between that research experience and the fact that I enjoyed teaching and realized that teaching, at least at the university level, was going to require a PhD, sort of drove me to seek out grad school opportunities. And luckily, my undergrad advisor knew the person who became my grad school advisor because they were both PhD students together at Caltech. So I sort of had my foot in the door at UCLA as far as getting a really good letter of recommendation and out of that, getting funding for my PhD studies. So after graduating, there were less than 10 of us who were in chemistry in the same year. And I think almost everyone actually went to grad school, like PhD program for chemistry. I went because I thought it would be necessary for any eventual career options. So I went to Berkeley and I did chemistry, but I was in the chemical biology program. So I, I ended up working for a professor doing nucleic acid chemistry, chemical biology. While neither had studied biology in undergrad, both of them ended up doing research at the graduate level related to their respective fields, chemistry and mechanical engineering, that did involve the human body. We worked mainly with RNA, many sensors that people use, especially in the body to like detect different things are protein-based, but we were working on RNA-based sensors. They just have a number of different advantages, much, much, much smaller and easier to engineer. And so just being able to detect different things, I think our lab was mainly focused on different bacterial interactions and processes. And my projects were kind of tangentially related. 
In undergrad, I was very much doing traditional mechanical engineering, even in the research, it was sort of high-speed flight. And in grad school, I wanted to, you know, I was exploring different things anyway, so why not see how weird I could get? And so the guy that ended up being my advisor ran a fluid physics laboratory where he specifically tried to do non-traditional mechanical engineering problems related to fluid physics. So he was doing things like bird flight or like fish swimming, just all of these sort of biological flows. So I was like, that's weird. That's interesting. Let's give it a shot. For me specifically, the essence of what I was doing was computer modeling of the cardiovascular system. So the heart, the lungs, the arteries and the veins, basically everything that keeps blood flowing through your body. What I was doing was taking patient measurements of things like blood pressure or uh, how much blood was flowing through certain arteries and trying to develop a way to feed that into these computer models so that we could get patient-specific predictions. So that like, if a surgeon wanted to make a cut in a certain place, I could tell them, okay, this is how this patient's body might respond to that. Obviously, Rebecca had been studying in California since undergrad and moved from L.A. to San Francisco for graduate school, and Danny had moved cross-country to go to UCLA. Living in California, both of them also continued to grow outside of the research lab as people in ways they wouldn't have been able to if they had stayed in Florida. For example, Rebecca was able to get more in touch with her Asian heritage. Being half Chinese, I think moving to California... I really felt like I fit in more. I just didn't feel like a minority. It was actually shocking to me how dense the popu- like the Asian population was in the LA area. So it was really nice. I feel like it kind of connected more with my Asian roots and got to have some really good food. And it's just sad, but like, so my husband always makes money for this where he's like, yeah, I mean, I grew up using chopsticks, so I'm really good at using chopsticks. Like, I just can't imagine not being good at using chopsticks. And I was like, I did not use chopsticks that much. I actually got better in college, so I'm not going to talk about this. Like, <laughs> I feel like I became more Asian culturally after living in California. For Danny, his growth came from his solo cross-country road trip to LA. It was wild, honestly, because prior to that move, I had really not done uh, any independent travel. I'd basically lived my whole life in Florida. So driving, you know, 3000 miles on my own was pretty challenging experience, but also really exhilarating because as I made stops along the way and just sort of went out into the world on my own, I realized, you know, I could do this, right? Like I could be on my own and be okay. So I remember just like going out every night to a bar and just like sitting at the bar and talking to people. And like, it sounds really mundane and probably lame to a lot of people. But for me, that was a, that was a really sort of life-changing experience because it taught me that I could be on my own. I could make conversation with strangers and like things were going to be okay. I didn't meet anyone crazy. I didn't end up in any car trunks or anything like that. It was just like a lot of, a lot of normal people. And I think that was really important for me because prior to that, the majority of my interactions was, you know, smart people in school, right? And so learning to interact with people from different backgrounds was was really important for me. Now, grad school is by no means easy. Both of them were in school for an additional five years, but they both persevered through their programs and various setbacks. Grad school is is a marathon, honestly. I told some prospective grad students this. The most important thing you get out of grad school is resilience. Like the specific content that you learn, because you're so specialized, it probably won't serve you in the long run, but you get so much resilience. Like things go wrong every day, and there's no one for you to turn to except yourself. So 
like learning how to deal with that, learning how to deal with the fact that you're the only one that can solve the problem in front of you is a, I feel like a really valuable life skill. My professor, unfortunately, did not get tenure. I still don't fully understand, I swear to God, how tenure is decided because there's not very much transparency at the university level. I was like, I guess there's just this magic moment when you become a professor where you understand how the tenure process works. So I moved to Utah because my professor took a tenured position at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And so we spent a year there sort of helping her set up the new lab and recruit. And since I was finally free from California, crazy rent and restrictive housing, I got two dogs, <laughs> just try to live my best life for a year and then eventually graduated. In the end, both graduated in late 2019 as Dr. Canudo and Dr. Kiddo. From there, they both actually decided that academia was not for them and that they would pursue careers in industry. Fortunately, the firms they ended up at were specifically recruiting individuals with master degrees and PhDs. I did not even know this was a possibility. Actually, that's not true. My cousin is a lawyer. And when I first went to undergrad, she told me if I went into science, she's like, you should come work for a law firm because I need people with technical backgrounds. And then I promptly forgot all about that until I was near the end of my PhD and had to find a job. So I knew I didn't want to go into academia. I don't think I am a very good bench chemist. And so I said, okay, I can't deal with the 99 failures that you have to go through before you get that one result that looks good. So I want to do something where one, I could have a lot more variety, see a lot more different technology and learn different things and also not have to deal with failure. So <laughs> quite so much. Yeah, I was like, man, five years of failing and then finally getting out of there. That's enough for now. I'll take a little break. So they recruit actually people with PhDs and masters, you know, higher higher level technical degrees or working experience to work in patent law because a lot of these patents are highly technical and they might be directed towards a certain chemical compound or certain biological compounds like antibodies, things like that. So they need somebody who can actually understand the science. It's important to know what's going on when you're trying to protect uh, somebody's invention. Throughout the course of grad school, I sort of learned more about what it meant to be a professor, at least a professor at a research university you become a lot more like a, a small business owner, an entrepreneur rather than a teacher. A lot of your time is spent writing grant proposals and finding uh, grad students, finding the right talent to support those proposals. And so given that I got into the PhD program with the end goal of being a teacher, I didn't really see as much of an opportunity to do that. So I decided to look for other opportunities where I might get to be more of a traditional engineer, but at a higher skill base than I would have been with a bachelor's degree. So luckily for me, uh, the company that I currently work for, Exponent, had a recruiting fair. They showed us all the different things that you could do with a PhD in engineering, sort of out in the real world, getting your hands dirty. And so I decided to apply for a job with them, and luckily I landed it. Nowadays, their day-to-day -day jobs are pretty different compared to their days spent working in laboratories. Being a consulting engineer, at least with Exponent, basically means when shit hits the fan, people hire us to figure out what went wrong or in a lot of cases, how to fix it and how to do both of those things as quickly as possible. So a lot of my time is spent sort of doing like forensics where we'll go into the scene of an accident or a disaster and collect evidence and try and piece together what happened from a scientific perspective. Generically, some of the things I've worked on are like failures of hydraulic equipment used for construction of things like bridges, rigging up GoPros so that we can record people in high fidelity as they like do different things inside of vehicles like unbuckling or buckling seatbelts or making different driving maneuvers. I've also basically been a glorified plumber looking at different like pipes or valves and things that have failed some bigger projects that exponents worked on 
are things like the Exxon Valdez. More recently, they worked on failure analysis of the World Trade Center, as well as the Toyota unintended acceleration problem. Those three, I think, are the most sort of recognizable cases that they've worked on. So for me, a lot of it is the work that I'm doing right now is not directly related to my PhD. I'm not working just on RNA-related patents and things like that. So it's understanding you know, what your client is doing. Some of it is actually talking with your client about the technical work that they're doing and understanding all the cool new technology. It's really exciting because when they come to you, things have already, all the failures have been passed and you know they worked out all the kinks. So you had to see the end product and everyone's usually very excited about that. So that's nice. So trying to understand you know, how to position things best for your clients. They can get the protection that they need so they can actually get this invention out there to help people. Because often it is, you know, a biological compound or treatment, some kind of option. And it's especially exciting too, because you get to see all their really good data and you get to see like, oh man, like it's exciting that this could actually work, right? The day-to-day is, yeah, definitely reading and writing intensive and a lot of meetings. Now, looping back again to a graduation day, I don't think either Rebecca or Danny, when they were on stage, could have predicted this present situation they find themselves in, global pandemic notwithstanding. And while they have vague ideas on where the next 10 years may take them and what they would like, I think the only thing set for sure is that they're both likely to have some form of education in their future, be it receiving more education or maybe imparting it to the next generation. I would like to say I'm still optimistic about the future, or at least I'm trying really hard to be. 2020's made that sort of challenging. Well, I just started this job. I mean, I was in school for, God, how many years was that? Like, 21 years that's forever basically so i just started this job and i've only been here for about a year but i mean there's a pretty set career path i think if you're in patent law and you come in as a staff scientist you go on take the patent bar become a patent agent and then you can go on and our firm has a program for going to law school and you can become a patent lawyer so hopefully yeah if things keep going well i think i'll just continue down that track and you know it's definitely been a very interesting job so far it's a very steep learning curve but I think I really enjoy working with the people at my firm. So, you know, five years down the road it would probably be law school, maybe, and then 10 years down the road. I don't know. I swear to God, it's <laughs> I just can't get away from school. Follow. <laughs> there are some in my firm who signs their emails and they have a PhD, a JD, and an MBA. And I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> you know, I, I really don't know because looking back on the last 10 years, it's been a really weird ride. Like if you had asked me where I was going to end up 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been in LA working as an engineer. In the future, I definitely see myself moving back east just to be a little bit closer to my family. Hopefully in this retirement gig or in this retirement gig, in this consulting gig to take an early retirement so that I can just teach physics, actually. Honestly, I think that would bring me a lot of joy. I feel like I wouldn't have ended up as an engineer if I hadn't had Mr. Hegeman as a high school physics teacher. So maybe sort of pay it forward. I want to give that opportunity or give that realization to other people that, you know, there's this thing called engineering out there that you might want to get into. So in putting together this episode, I wasn't able to find any footage from our graduation ceremony 10 years ago. If you have any footage of this, let me know. I'd love to see it. In lieu of that, I asked them how they think they've changed over the last 10 years and what lessons they've learned compared to their high school selves. You know, we were just... We were just so young in high school. Sometimes I just look back and I feel like I was so self-conscious about, you know, how I appeared to other people that I tried to appear a certain way. You know, you try and look cool. I really wasn't. I was just a huge nerd, so that wasn't working, obviously. But 
I think now I'm pretty much the same. I'm just like a little bit more comfortable with like, yeah, I'm just a boring nerd. Like I, <laughs> this is who I am. And I mean, I don't know if I've changed that much. I think it's just like, you kind of just learn more about yourself, right? Just through college. And I think as you get a little bit older, I, I just know I'm a little, maybe a little bit more set in my ways, but I just know, I think a little bit more what I like, what I don't like. And I think I just, I became kind of grew into myself a little bit more, I guess. Meanwhile, for Danny, compared to his current self, he remembers his younger self as being, in his words, somewhat naive. More pessimistically or maybe more critically, I think I was pretty naive. Miss Johns introduces to Ayn Rand. I took a couple of those books to heart for a while as far as like her philosophy that hard work always equaled success. And if you didn't make it, it's because you were lazy. And I've since had a lot of experiences uh, that have shown me sort of how flawed that view was. <laughs> And what have all those life experiences taught him about what it takes to be successful? I would say a large component of it is is luck. Like I was lucky to have had an undergrad advisor who knew the guy that would become my grad school advisor. I was lucky to have been born into a family that would be able to provide for me well enough that I didn't have to worry where my next meal was going to come from or anything like that. So I could just focus on my schooling. I was lucky to have access to a school like Stanton, right? That could prepare me for college, over prepare me for college. It was, it's really just, you know, a lot of where you end up has to do with things that are well out of your control. Given all that, what advice does he have, not only for his younger self, but for the rest of us in today's day and age? You know, I'll be perfectly straightforward. I don't know how much advice I can give to people because from what I've seen, everybody's doing just fine without me giving them platitudes. But if I were to give one, it would be to stay optimistic and to stay ambitious, right? Be willing to keep going when things go wrong and you want to quit because success has a lot to do with hard work, even despite what I just said. Like, It does have to do with luck, but if you're not willing to put in the effort, then there's no way, there's no way that you can get anywhere. Hey, with a little bit of luck and hard work, hopefully one day I too can be giving a commencement address somewhere at some school. Special thanks to Rebecca and Danny for sharing their stories with me. Do you have a life lesson that you've picked up over the last 10 years? Let me and the rest of our class know via voicemail. Just record yourself on your smartphone's voice recording app, tell us your name, where you're located, and what you've been up to and what you've learned over the last 10 years. Keep it about one to two minutes long and send it to me on Facebook or email it to me at ninjaboymedia at gmail.com. That's N-I-N-J-A-B-O-I-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. Email in the show notes. Submissions will be compiled into an episode later this season. The opening and closing music was provided by our very own Michael Xavier Barriwan of the class of 2010, aka Namekian Silk. Check his stuff out on SoundCloud and Spotify. Other music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Also, a quick note, the views and opinions expressed on the show reflect the personal thoughts of those involved alone and do not reflect those of any other groups. Next week, we'll catch up with some of our classmates who took a different, though no less interesting, path with their careers. While Danny and Rebecca opted to focus on the STEM subjects of engineering and chemistry, some of our classmates instead pursued the arts. We'll talk to one classmate who is a full-time artist and what that entails, and we'll chat with another one who has worked on a Golden Globe-winning film. Until then, though, I'm Paulo Bautista, and remember, we run this.
you happen to have any music or any any tracks from, from your metal band? I might try to include <laughs> them in the in the podcast. Uh, if we do have anything, it's going to be on YouTube. Uh, I think that there are still some uh, video recordings of us playing at Freebird, but I don't have like a CD or anything like that.